From Radio Vermont, it's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. It's your show about the people, places, and the issues that matter the most to you. Now here's your host, Dave Graham. Good morning, Vermont. It is a Wednesday morning, November the 4th, 2020. We have a good full show for you this morning. We are going to be talking about state races first off with Xander Landon of etdigger.org. And uh, then we're going to be uh, having a visit with uh, Secretary of State Jim Condos. I want to talk with him about sort of how did it go with all the mail-in voting and the uh, and the counting of those ballots, and did everything go uh, as smoothly as you hoped here in Vermont? And uh, and then in the uh, second hour of the program, we're going to be speaking with uh, Matt Dickinson of Middlebury College, a political science professor there, as well as Steve Pappas of the Times, Argus, and Rutland Herald. He's the editor and publisher of the papers, and uh, we're going to get their perspectives on the uh, national scene out there where it looks like the uh, presidential race remains unresolved at this hour. Vote counting is uh, still going on or resuming in some places uh, if uh, folks went home overnight to get some sleep. And um, it looks like the uh, some of the margins that President Trump had built up in key states uh, from same-day voting, those who showed up at the polls yesterday, uh, may be uh, diminishing somewhat as these states, including uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, the blue wall states of 2016, uh, those states are starting to count their uh, advance voting ballots. And uh, and sure enough, Joe Biden, as many people expected, is now gaining uh, on uh, on the president. Or in, in the case of Wisconsin, has even taken a has taken a lead in the uh, in the Badger state. So. Still, uh, I would say, still unresolved, and we won't know. We may not know even before tomorrow or Friday, actually, who our next president will be. But we'll we'll talk all about that in the latter half of the show. First, I wanted to uh, visit with Xander Landon of E.T. Digger. He's a political writer there, and uh, Xander, I believe, is on the phone with us. Uh, good morning, Xander. Morning, Dave. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to do it. Uh, thank you for uh, waking up uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I'm sure, this morning, or maybe a little groggy. I don't know. I, I can sure, remember, definitely. Uh, yeah, I can remember a few uh, post-election mornings that were felt like a little uh, little lacking in the sleep department. But anyway, um, I, 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 no big surprise here. Governor Phil Scott uh, looks like pretty much uh, coasts to re-election this time. Is that, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was what happened at the top of the statewide ticket. Uh, Governor Scott uh, cruising pretty easily to re-election uh, by a pretty wide margin. And uh, like you suggested, not not a big surprise. Um, you know, even before COVID hit, he was a very uh, popular incumbent moderate Republican governor. And uh, once COVID did uh, come onto the scene, um, Scott, like many governors, uh, like all governors in the United States, was sort of at the forefront of um, sort of handling and managing it. And, you know, Vermont has seen very low infection rates, um, very few major outbreaks um, of the virus. And uh, I think that it's pretty clear uh, from a lot of the folks that I spoke with at the polls yesterday, even, you know, folks on the left, Democrats, that um, that was that was in large part why he did so well last night. Um, in in in, in uh, I think a lot of uh, in, in a lot of cases and uh, with voters and um, you know I think it made the challenge that David Zuckerman, the progressive uh, Democratic lieutenant governor, 
had launched against the governor much uh, harder uh, than it would have been um, otherwise. So, yeah, not a, not a big surprise. Um, and uh, another another term for Phil Scott. And <clears throat> meanwhile, of course, the the uh, legislature remains uh, very firmly in Democratic hands. A big night for Democrats, although one big exception we can talk about as well. Uh, why don't we get to that right off? Uh, Mitzi Johnson, uh, the uh, Speaker of the House, looks like uh, is, uh, well, uh, there could be a recount there, but as of now, it looks like she has lost her bid for re-election in, in her uh in her district up in the Lake Champlain Islands. Is that right? That's right. Um, she has appeared to have lost the race by 18 votes um, <clears throat> to Michael Morgan uh, and Leland Morgan. Uh, Leland, Leland Morgan is the Republican incumbent in that district, and Michael Morgan is his nephew, who is also a Republican and who has run for this seat before. Back in 2018, <clears throat> this race was also very close, and... He came within, I believe, 170 so or so votes from uh, winning that that race. So this wasn't this, you know, this was definitely the shocker of the night in Vermont. I think I don't think anyone was, uh, you know, uh, I, in, in some respects. But at the same time, you know, we had reported um, that it was possible that uh, Speaker Johnson might lose her seat, just given how close the races had been in her district in the past. And the fact that you had, you know, Michael Morgan, who had run last time running again and had been, you know, sort of working and cultivating uh, relationships in his district. I spoke to him very late last night. And, um, you know, his argument sort of on the campaign trail um, was that, you know, the speaker hasn't been as responsive to constituents um, and has been uh, as as she has maybe in the past. And that um, her sort of democratic agenda is out of touch with what voters in uh, the district uh, uh, are, are, are sort of uh, what their sort of political um, leanings are. Um, and you know, he, he you know appears to have had some success, uh, clearly winning this race at this point. Although, like you said, uh, our understanding is that a recount is imminent. So you never know the result could change. But for now, it's, you know, he has won the race and the Speaker of the House uh, has lost. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a little bit about uh, <clears throat> what happened to Ralph Wright, who was a very powerful uh, House Speaker back in the uh, 1990s and then all of a sudden lost uh, his uh, district in Bennington. And uh, I remember uh, talking to folks at the time and and, and people sort of taking a lesson, at least for a while from that, that uh even when you are Speaker of the House, there's a lot to being Speaker of the House because you're you're really putting a lot of work and energy into uh, sort of maintaining your relationships with other House members and, of course, with other you know state leaders. You've got to negotiate over legislation with the Senate. You've got to negotiate with the governor. Um, so there's a lot uh, a lot on your plate. Uh, but <clears throat> the um, you know the real bread and butter of a lot of uh, legislators is constituent service and the idea that they are, are always at the beck and call of uh, the folks back home and uh, if that starts to uh, to feel like it's a uh, it's sort of dying on the vine or thinning out or however you want to describe it um, <clears throat> people will get a sense of that and they they may uh, a few of them may start to resent the unreturned phone call or the phone call that takes two or three days to return and uh, and that is uh, 
that can be bad news even for someone as powerful as a Speaker of the House. And so uh, I don't know whether that really is the case here with Mitzi Johnson, but certainly it is it is a danger that any any uh, any any person in legislative leadership has to be uh, cognizant of. I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I you know I like I, I haven't reported about you know whether or not that's the case with the Speaker of the House, but that's certainly what the messaging from both Leland and Michael Morgan is is that um, you know they, they they said yesterday that their constituents are. Uh, when the district were upset that she hadn't returned phone calls or emails, it just wasn't um, as responsive as maybe she used to uh, be uh, with constituents. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. Um, I'll also add that just in terms of, you know, looking at the, the House itself with that loss and a couple of other gains by Republicans, uh, they, the, the Democrats have uh, lost net uh, one <laughs> seat and that sort of um, in, in, the, in their in their super uh, majority or super coalition, uh, so, sort of sort of liberal leaning uh, members, uh, including independents and progressives and Democrats, that would sort of be able to uh, and have been able to in the last two years to sort of band together and uh, reverse the governor's veto pen. They're sort of one seat short of that now, which which which, which would mean. Um, that it's going to probably be a little bit harder for Democrats to, uh, you know, like I said, band together and uh, and reverse the governor's vetoes if if we see more of those in the coming years. So that's that's another kind of change uh, from last night um, and uh, a win for Republicans in uh, the the, the state house. Uh, certainly, they also Republicans also picked up a seat. In the Rutland, uh, in the Rutland Senate district, so the Senate now has one more Republican than it did in the 2018-2020 session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any sense that uh, you know Democrats have been quite aggressive about pushing uh, Democrats and that coalition you talk about with other other sort of progressive leaning uh, legislators have been quite aggressive in the last couple of years about pushing things like the Global Warming Solutions Act, of course the paid family leave, the minimum wage, there. Those those, uh, those core democratic issues uh, they they um, they they pushed out to sort of the outer limits on on reproductive rights in terms of uh, uh, possibly uh, alienating especially people who are who are more conservative on those issues um, and I just wonder uh, are, is there any talk that the Democrats may have been getting a little bit uh, a little bit out in front of their skis a little bit here well. Maybe. The case of uh, you know the speaker's race, that's that's exactly what uh, you know the Republican uh, winners in that race said is the case. Uh, I don't know if that's the case all over the state. I mean, they're, they're, the numbers that they have in the state house are still overwhelmingly Democratic, so mm-hmm. you still have yep. really powerful Democratic majorities. It's not like they lost a ton of seats. Uh, in this case, they lost a very high-profile seat, maybe you know the most high-profile seat, but. But with the speaker, but um, it's not like you know they they there was a huge uh, you know uh, Republican mandate um, in you know in the legislature um, now in this election where they where they where Republicans picked up ten or twenty seats. Um, I, I, so I'm not sure that's the case, um, but certainly with uh, you know the governor uh, being reelected um, and you know the governor having. A record number uh, or approaching 
the tie for the record uh, of veto of vetoes in the in the state of Vermont or governor uh, that that being currently held by Howard Dean who vetoed in 21 bills over his uh, years as governor I think we can expect a lot a lot more um, sort of clashing um, a lot more um, sort of legislative battles uh, in the coming years where we're going to see that tension drawn out hmm um, and <clears throat> let's uh, let's look at a couple of the other uh, races out there. By the way, I uh, wanted to mention, as I always do, listeners out there, if you would like to join the conversation here, you're more than welcome to uh, give us a call at 244-1777. That's the local number in Waterbury, or the uh, toll-free number 1-877-291-8255 or 291-TALK, and uh, you'll be uh, connected up with the WDEV studio and able to get on our air and ask a uh, Xander Landon, the BT Digger, any questions you want or make a comment and, uh, <clears throat> and all that good stuff. Uh, so we do, uh, do welcome and appreciate our listener, uh, contributions to the conversations here. Uh, meanwhile though, Xander, let's, uh, let's turn the page and look at a couple of the other, uh, statewide contests here. Um, I don't think there's any surprise at the congressional level. We have a, a very uh, strong incumbent, Peter Welch, who has, uh, most times coasted to re-election since uh, he was first uh, sent down to Washington uh, in uh, 2006. And uh, sure enough, this time, another big win for Welch. Yeah, and this obviously was, you know, not not a surprise at all. Um, I think that in, in any uh, congressional, U.S. congressional race, the, the Republicans are going to have a really hard time, um, you know, ever unseating uh, an incumbent. At this point, um, so yeah, so Welch is headed back um, to to uh, D.C. as expected. Um, there weren't any uh, Senate races this time around, um, so yes, that was that was another sort of unsurprising uh, expected result of last night. And um, uh, you know, I, I just um, am, am wondering what you think about the. Um about the uh, Republican Party here in Vermont, it seems like uh, Phil Scott, who uh, you know favors reproductive rights and who uh, uh, opposes President Trump, he actually voted for a president for Vice President Biden in yesterday's election. He announced, and uh, he uh, so there's there's that sort of uh, sort of flavor of uh, Republican, and then uh, the political newcomer Miriam Berry. Uh, running against Peter Welch uh, definitely was uh, more in in uh, in, in uh, one would say in in sync with the National Republican Party, supporting President Trump quite strongly, uh, opposing uh, legal access to abortion and so on and so forth. Uh, very much a re- uh, sort of standard U.S. Republican these days, um, and didn't really get too far. Obviously, you know, again, a first time. Candidate up against uh, someone who has been a uh, an incumbent uh, juggernaut for years now. Uh, it's going to be tough. But um, what does that tell you about uh, about how the Republican Party in Vermont might be kind of thinking about its own uh, sort of platform and way it presents itself to the public in the going into you know the twenty two, twenty four, twenty eight cycles. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an interesting question, and it's one that's been sort of going on since Trump was elected. Um, I mean, there 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 definitely have been some pretty big divisions in the Vermont Republican Party, particularly between those who are elected in Montpelier and the people that are 
at the helm of the party itself, uh, a lot of uh, some of the party leadership is, uh, has been sort of vocally very pro-Trump, and a lot of the elected uh, Republicans have, sort of being elected um, as Republicans in a very liberal state have been, made, have been sort of uh, made very clear that they, uh, not all of them, but some of them, uh, very clear that they oppose the president um, and have spoken out against him. So uh, that, that has created a divide because, you know, especially, you know, last time around when Republicans lost uh, about 10 seats in the House, that was a big, big year of losses for Republicans in 2018. A lot of the Republicans were pointing to the party and saying, you know, with your sort of vocal support of Trump, uh, this, this hasn't made it easy for us. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's not Trump. Trump is uh, definitely uh, can make it tough for uh, Republicans and sort of more purple uh, or, or liberal leaning parts of the state to get elected. Um, and, you know, we saw we saw, Repu- you know, the, the biggest instance, I think, where we saw a Republican overcome uh, the blue anti-Trump wave was uh, Heidi Sherman's race uh, in Stowe. Uh, she she's a longtime incumbent. I think she's been in the House for 14 years, and the race has been close in, in you know in recent years. And I think she she uh, something like 100 votes uh, uh, is, is the only, is was her margin in um, 2018. Uh, this year, she you know a lot the, the Republicans were concerned that she was facing a challenge again from uh, Democrat Joe Sable Courtney, who uh, was very outspoken uh, against the president and sort of running um, running sort of on, on the blue wave, um, and uh, along with sort of the tr- traditional sort of Vermont uh, Democratic agenda, uh, there, was, there was concern that she was going to lose her seat, but she didn't, and she won uh, re-election by a very large margin. So... Um, yeah. So, and, and she and Heidi Sherman has also been sort of outspoken um, in, in saying that she doesn't support the president. So, uh, it is an interesting uh, situation that uh, Trump puts Republicans in sort of uh, sort of moderate Republicans, um, including the governor. And the governor has been, as you said, outspoken and said yesterday that he was voting for for Biden, um, which you know made national headlines. Um, uh, and it's going to be, like you said, very tough for, um, especially if you're running for, you know, a U.S. congressional office in Vermont, uh, to run on a platform that is sort of openly supportive of the president just because he's very unpopular here. And you saw that from the result last night. He won about 32 percent of the vote in Vermont, uh, while Biden won much, much more. Was that slightly better than the president did uh, four years ago? I thought he won like 29% four years ago, if I remember correctly. That's a good question. I, I actually don't, I actually don't have that number off the top of my head. I think it's about, I think it's roughly the same. Um, yeah, pretty close, certainly within the margin of error. Let me uh, ask you about the uh, race for uh, lieutenant governor of Vermont and a uh, political newcomer uh, this year, uh, at least in the pub, sort of public-facing part of politics. Of course, uh, Mo- Molly Gray, Democrat, had been uh, had worked for uh, Peter Welch in the past, I believe, and uh, also has been uh, in, toiling in the vineyards uh, in certain other respects and certainly has a lot of good connections in among uh, d- Democrats' big support from Senator Leahy, for instance, uh, talk to us about Molly Gray's ascendancy to the number two post in state government. Yeah, this this is a pretty big win for Democrats. Um, 
And, you know, because Scott Milne, who is her Republican opponent, had been putting up a pretty good fight in this race. The polling showed that the race was in Milne's uh, striking distance. Uh, it was basically a statistical tie, according to a poll released back in, I can't remember if it was September or October. Uh, but anyway, the only polling showed that the race was very close. And um, uh, Gray, you know, took had a pretty commanding victory. She won by... I believe it was about um, nine points, um, and um, is now um, you know very much uh, this, this as as sort of is uh, commonly known in Vermont politics. This this job, the lieutenant governor's uh, position, which was uh, which is now held by Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman, um, is uh, you know there's there's very little sort of policy uh, power that comes from this this position. Um, Mm-hmm. It's not like the lieutenant governor is, um, you know, in charge of uh, creating, uh, uh, sort of writing the laws or um, anything like that. Uh, they they preside over the Senate. They can break ties if there if there is one in the Senate, and we don't see that very often these days because of the Democratic majority there. But uh, it is a big uh, position uh, politically in the state, and in, in sort of viewed as a staging ground in many ways for folks who have political ambitions in Vermont. Um, it does give uh, whoever's holding it a pretty big platform, uh, political platform, to advocate for issues um, and sort of present a vision uh, for what they, you know, think should be going on in Montpelier. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of lieutenant governors, including Governor Phil Scott, uh, run for governor um, so or, or other uh, offices, offices in the state. And um, this sort of puts Molly Gray... Uh, political newcomer uh, who, who announced she was running in January. I don't think many people outside of Montpelier knew who she was. She's an assistant. She was an assistant attorney general um, and uh, 36 years old. Um, and, you know, now she's sort of one of the leading Democratic politicians uh, in the state. Um, so this is a yep. big win for her, a big win for the Democratic Party and uh, positions her very well. And uh, the uh, the down ticket races, uh, auditor, treasurer, uh, attorney general, uh, secretary of state. Uh, anything uh, interesting happening there? I mean, I know the incumbents uh, were reelected uh, there, but uh, were there any close races? Uh, I don't believe so. I think it was pretty pretty sweeping, uh, pretty pretty uh, pretty typical of what we've seen in recent years with these incumbents. Um, it's going to be very hard uh, for Republican who Republicans who don't have, you know, pretty broad name recognition um, uh, to to unseat uh, established Democratic incumbents, and, and uh, that's sort of what we saw play out uh, last night. Yep, uh, and of course, uh, it, you know, anytime there's an election, you ought to uh, political junkies like us tend to immediately want to uh, to put a. Um, to put a magnifying glass or whatever telescope maybe is the better instrument at this point into the future toward the next election there will be a uh, a senate seat uh up in 22 uh, obviously we don't uh, we don't know exactly uh, whether the um, incumbent will be seeking re-election but would Molly Gray be well situated for instance for a run for the US Senate in 22 or 24 I think that there would be a lot of potential, you know, names 
that would be thrown into that hat. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think that, yeah, I think that's absolutely a possibility. I think that she's, like I said, kind of set up to do, um, to, 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 you know, seek a lot of different offices at this point, like, you know, any lieutenant governor uh, probably would be in Vermont. Um, yep. I, I, I do think that maybe, you know, two years is kind of a very short uh short time to be in office before seeking uh, another office. Usually, you know, you'd, you'd serve a little longer than, than that in statewide elected office before, um, before seeking, seeking a uh, position, you know, in Congress. But, you know, I would say, I would say that it's totally possible. I, 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 I have no idea. I haven't talked to her about her. If she has ambitions beyond the Lieutenant governor's office. I'm sure that she would say that she's focused on that right now and not thinking about uh, yep. anything else. Uh, I, you know, I do think that there's definitely a lot of momentum and pressure um, to send a, a female, a woman to Congress. The state of Vermont has never done that in history. So one of the one of these days. Hey, hey uh, Xander, uh, we're about out of time, but I appreciate you joining me this morning. Uh, excellent analysis on the Vermont political scene after this Election Day 2020. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dave. We're going to be speaking with uh, Secretary of State Jim Condos after the bottom of the hour break. Uh, stay with us, folks. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. We are back, and uh, thanks for staying with us in the second half hour of our program. It's post-election morning, November 4th, uh, 2020. And uh, as we've uh, been mentioning, the presidential race uh, still unresolved. It uh, looks like the uh, Republicans will retain control of the United States Senate. Uh, the Democrats will retain control of the U.S. House. And uh, once again, the White House uh, still a bit up in the air. And so uh, we'll be obviously paying a lot of attention to that over the next day or two or however long it takes to count all those still uncounted ballots Uh our next guest uh, is a familiar voice on the Dave Graham Show here at WDEV FM and AM. Secretary of State Jim Condos might sound a wee bit groggy this morning. I wouldn't blame him for being a tad tired. <laughs> Obviously, uh, the biggest day of uh, any four-year period in his professional life uh, was yesterday. And uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, how are you doing? You hanging in there? Uh, just barely. It, it, you know, only a few hours sleep last night. I'm back in the office this morning. Uh, we got a lot of work left. Uh, as, as you know, Dave, a lot of people think that uh, our, the election comes and goes and we're done. But we have probably another 45 days worth of cleanup work that we have to do, working with our most hardworking town clerks. Uh, they are just unbelievable. They really stepped up uh, this year. Uh, the challenges that we've frankly never seen before. Uh, and, and I, I, I can't thank the clerks enough. Uh, they did a great job, um, and their poll workers, their staffs, um, the staff here at the Secretary of State's office, it just was an incredible uh, time. I know that uh, my staff definitely will be taking some time off shortly, uh, as most of them have been working 
six, seven days a week for about six months. Yeah, that's uh, that is a um, that is uh, it's a busy time for sure for uh, especially for anybody involved in in the election. Really, uh, I know that there are a lot of uh, groggy uh, media members this morning as well, folks who uh, are. Uh, Definitely didn't get the full eight hours of sleep last night, but that's okay. You know, we can we can get through that every every election day coming around. Hey, um, uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, sort of how things went mechanically. I mean, some big changes in this in the way the election was uh, conducted this year. Uh, many many mail in ballots came in ahead of time. Um, did that uh, did that delay any counting in Vermont or or? Were towns and cities able to uh, pretty much uh, just uh, get right over that whatever bump in the road those might have created and uh, and uh, have a pretty much smooth trip to a completion of, of the election? So, Dave, what we did, you know, in, as we moved into, um, made the decision, obviously I want to reiterate, uh, and I've said this to you before, uh, we, we had two overarching goals that we followed, um, uh, as we pre- prepared and planned for this general election, uh, number one was to protect every Vermonter's voting rights, and two, to protect the health and safety of not only the voters, but also our town clerks and their poll workers. Um, following the, using those two guidelines, every, every decision we made was based on satisfying both of those. Uh, and, and the vote by mail, that we used for the general election actually was highly, very well taken and, and uh, embraced by Vermonters. We had 200, I think it was 262,000 votes that came in by yesterday morning um, that the clerks had accounted for. And, uh, you know, as of right now, the, the previous record was 2008, 326,000 voter turnout. And we are well past that number at this current time, but it'll it'll still take some time to verify those results. Um, we're we're upwards of 360,000 right now, uh, and we suspect that that will continue to grow as all the write-ins are accounted for and and uh, other votes that are um, that are out there. But but you know it's been a really exciting time, uh, as I've said before. Whether you vote by mail, whether you vote by absentee, whether you vote in person early, or you vote at the polls, the ballot looks the same. And guess what? It counts the same as well. And, and uh, you know, I think, our again, our town clerks really stepped up to the plate um, and faced adversity that they had never faced before uh, in this year. So it was, it was pretty exciting to see everything come together. And um, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, in terms of the, the um, uh, well, one uh, one result that came in last night was a um, was a little bit of a surprise, I think, to some folks. Um, Mitzi Johnson, the Speaker of the House, uh, appears to have been defeated by 18 votes. So walk us through the re- the recount pro- process. We're expecting a recount there. What, what actually happens in a case like that? All right, so first of all, um uh, a Vermont House seat can um, can uh, you can ask for a recount if you're within five percent, uh, mm-hmm. and for every everything else it's two percent, but for the House it's five percent. So she's well within that margin um, to ask for a recount. 
And once she does, she has to go to court to ask for that recount. Once she does, the recount is then um, taken over, essentially, and managed by the courts. We will provide logistical help to to the county clerk up there, but uh, essentially it becomes a uh, county court-managed process. Um, you know, it was 18 votes, and, and uh, I, I can't really say a whole lot about it because there's not much to say. I mean, at this point, the votes are in, and uh, she will have to request a recount if she wants one. Yep, uh, and obviously that's not automatic. The candidate actually has to request the recount. Is that right? That is correct. Yep, okay. Uh, I don't know uh, whether she has made any, any statements about her intent there, but uh, uh, if, if any uh, any uh, listeners out there actually do know, uh, and or if, if Speaker Johnson happens to be listening, would like to call in, 244-1777 is the local number in Waterbury, the toll-free number, one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five or 291-TALK, and... Uh, uh, this is one of those little appeals we make to the hive mind occasionally when there's a, a fact out there that uh, I don't know and and my guest doesn't know and uh, gee whiz let's uh, let's see if anybody out there does <clears throat> um, and I'm wondering in terms of the uh, in terms of the mail-in voting overall do you suspect that uh, this is going to become sort of a new norm in elections going forward uh, I I can't answer that question, Dave, because uh, that's really a legislative decision. Uh, they, the House and the Senate will take, I'm sure, take it up uh, come January. Uh, mm-hmm. We will we will provide any information they need as far as uh, uh, costs. Uh, how much did it cost overall? Uh, what actions did we take that that we would do differently? That kind of stuff. Uh, we plan on meeting with a group of town clerks probably sometime in, in December um, prior to the start of the legislature. We're going to pick uh, some clerks that are small town, large town, urban versus rural. Uh, and so we have a good diverse group and we'll ask them to tell us what they thought worked, what didn't work, what could be done better, uh, and what are the resources that they need to, if, if this were to go forward. So, you know, we're going to do our, our work on the back end, but, uh, again, it's way too early to tell. I mean, I can't even tell you right now what the costs are because we haven't totaled them all up. We do know that we're within the budgets that we were provided by Congress uh, for uh, running elections, so we will stay within that, and uh, we will continue to move forward and provide the information the legislature needs to make solid decisions. Let's talk a little bit about discarded uh, ballots. Those were uh, a big feature in the primary. Of course, the primary, the uh, the ballots that folks received at home in the mail uh, to be filled out were more complicated. Uh, you might argue because the uh, because you were, you had to select a specific ballot uh, tied to a specific party, and uh, that was a that was a, an ample pitfall for some folks to make a mistake. And, and then, but this whole business of having to sign the uh, the envelope and date it and get your name printed clearly on there and uh, the, all of that stuff still presents, I guess, some difficulty to some people. And I'm wondering, do you have any sense of um, will there be or were there uh, an unusually high number of, uh, of ballots which have failed those tests in the, in this general election? 
Well, we're, we have. It's way too early for us to tell because we haven't got the participation reports yet from the from the towns. Uh, they will provide that information over the next few weeks, uh, and we'll be able to make a, a better decision on that or, or have better data. Uh, typically, in the general election, you were right in the in the primary. It is a little more complicated. Keep in mind, Vermont is not a party registration state, so we are what we call an open primary. You can vote and if you're if you declare yourself to be a Democrat. That's only to you. Uh, we don't record anything like that, uh, and you can vote in the Republican Party or the Progressive Party. So it, that's why it became a little more complicated. Essentially, the primary is three elections in one day. Uh, we have a Republican election, a Democratic election, and a progressive election. So, and we, each one is a separate silo, if you want to call it. Um, and that's where we ran into problems there because the most common uh, reasons for defective ballots are one, they didn't put the ballot that they voted into the voted envelope, which is called the certificate envelope. That's one. Two, they didn't sign that, that uh, certificate envelope. And, uh, uh, three, they didn't send back the other two envelopes. So we'll have that discussion about the primary side. With That'll be a separate discussion from the general. In the general election, typically, we have about 1%. So we will continue to look at uh, uh, the reasons why. We'll find out what were the majority reasons and see if there's any way we can cure that. The other uh, piece of that is, uh, and we had several calls yesterday of people who said, "My, I, I checked my ballot and it was defective. Can I go down and vote another ballot? The answer to that, the short answer, simple answer is no, you can't. Uh, Vermont does not have a cure uh, law in, in place. Uh, I'm sure, I, in fact, I know that the legislature will be taking that up as well. Um, but keep in mind, we do not have contact information other than an address and, uh, and, and and so the clerks don't have a number that they can call or email uh, so we may have to go out and, and uh, require that uh, to be a registered voter so those are the discussions that we'll have with the legislature come January and uh, you know but we still need more data before we can make those kinds of discussions possible. I wonder uh, to the to what extent uh, discarded ballots uh, could have an impact actually on individual races, especially very close ones. Do you know how many? Do you happen to know how many discarded ballots there were in that House district up in the Champlain Islands that uh, were you know featuring the uh, apparent loss by Mitzi Johnson to um, Mr. Morgan there? I do not. We have we haven't got that data yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know, you know, it, it would be maybe uh, kind of an amazing thing if uh, if if all of the ballots there uh, were that were errant somehow and rejected there, but therefore uh, were sort of pointing in one direction, too. I mean, uh, I don't know whether Democrats are any more likely to let, than let the me, Republicans. Let me, one thing, let me make one thing clear, David. Once, once yep. a clerk has declared a ballot to be defective, that ballot mm-hmm. can no longer be counted in any way. It can, even if it goes to court, we would not ask the court to count that ballot. It's, it's been ruled defective, did not enter into the recount. The recount only recounts the ballots that were counted on, on election night. So 
That would be okay. the, the way that works. Got it. Well, a good clarification. I, that's important to know. So I'm glad I. Some of the uh, you know people say the only what is it the only the only dumb question are the ones that don't get asked. I guess or <laughs> there are so, no dumb questions. There you go or something like that. Yeah, uh, Secretary Condos. Um, as the top elections official in Vermont, I like to pick your brain every now and then about what the heck is going on elsewhere in the country. And um, the uh, the counting continues in the presidential race, uh, I guess in some no uh, no small part because the uh, it was decided by state legislat- state legislatures in places like uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin that. Uh, there would not be advanced processing of early ballots that uh, they were going to wait until after the, ele- the polls closed on election day. So here we are, just uh, waiting for the, the counting to happen. Is that a, is, is that understanding of the situation roughly accurate? Well, yeah, and, and this goes back to uh, the federalism that we enjoy, uh, and, and basically it's a state's rights um, to uh, Article One, Section 4 of the, Vermont, uh, the U.S. Constitution says the times, places, and manner of holding the elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, but Congress may at any time make, by law make or alter such regulations. Uh, so I, I think what you see here is the fact that the Congress has, and the Constitution has, des- has delegated the management of elections to the states. We have 50 states and we have six territories and we all have different rules that we follow. Uh, I have been somewhat outspoken that I think that some of these rules should, should be the same no matter where we are. For instance, I believe the voter registration, we're, we're such a mobile society today, I don't believe that uh, voter registration should differ, whether you're in California and tomorrow you can be in Vermont, you move to Vermont, um, and then you have a different set of rules. So having said that, I think uh, states um, have different ways of, of counting their ballots, and, and uh, some states uh, do not... Uh, do not use tabulators. Others do. Um, some use them totally. Like here in Vermont, we're kind of a hybrid. We have about 100 towns that, that uh, count by hand. Those are generally the smaller towns. About 20% of our state population uh, is counted by hand. The rest are counted via ta- tabulators, about 140-some-odd uh, towns. So, you know, we have different ways of doing it, and uh, uh, we, we do not accept postmarks here in Vermont uh, so you can't have you can't mail your ballot uh, back by in the mail uh, with a postmark of election day and have it received two or three days later we our law Vermont law says that uh, the vote counting starts at 7 p.m. on election night um, and all ballots up to that point will be counted. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in some sta- there are some states who accept the postmark and will will wait three days, five days, seven days, uh, and I think even 14 days. I'm not sure. California might be the longest. I think they accept up to 14 days. Uh, mm. You know, and, and this actually, you know, part of this is it really could impact our overseas and military voters uh, in, in getting those uh, ballots back. So it, it's, um, uh, you know, the, the, 
the, the process works, um, and every state has different rules. And uh, I was, I think it'll be hard pressed if the president made a comment last night or this morning um, that uh, he's going to go to the Supreme Court to get them to stop the counting. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding, from talking to several lawyers, is that you can't do that. The, 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 All right, I got to stop you there, uh, Secretary Jim Condos, uh, Secretary of State. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. We're about out of time, and I uh, really appreciate you sharing some time with us on this busy uh, post-election morning. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Let's go to uh, top of the hour break for some CBS News. We'll be back with more of the Dave Graham Show on the other side. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV-FM and AM. Hey, uh, thanks for staying with us into the second hour of our program this morning. Uh, normally at this time we uh, like to line up one of our national correspondents. Uh, CBS has been a fount of these folks uh, in recent times with us, and we are really grateful for that. Unfortunately, they are either all busy or sleeping in a little after a very late night last night, uh, and we are we were unable to line up any of our CBS folks, so we're uh, happy to open the phone lines and let the listeners weigh in here. What do you think about uh, where things stand in the uh, presidential race? and in the uh, state races here in Vermont. Uh, happy to hear from all of you, any of you out there. 244-1777 is a local number in Waterbury. The toll-free number, one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. And uh, I do believe we have uh, a man who's been... Uh, uh, exhibiting quite a bit of patience here. He's been on the line for several minutes. Anyway, Chris from uh, Williamstown is with us. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Dave. How are you today? Doing doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm just like yourself. I'm I'm listening to the news and waiting to see where the elections fall. My mm-hmm. so I've lived in Vermont my entire life, and, yep. and I know that Vermont is almost getting too expensive for me to live here. And what I witnessed this morning is is in support of what I just said that when the secretary of state the top election official in the state has the time to be on the radio for we'll say a half an hour but obviously he had to prepare and then he's after i think maybe his staff is too big hmm. well uh for my selfish reasons i <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he has time to be on the radio sometimes, but uh, I, and I uh, and I do why you would feel yeah, that way. Yeah, 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 and and I understand how why you would feel the way you do. I I, I will say that uh, for any public official, um, uh, there there is a uh, I think a, a you know a key a key part of the function is conveying information to the public, and this is one of the ways. Uh, that happens. Uh, obviously, uh, the members of the public have quite a number of questions. In fact, some of the questions I was uh, asking uh, Secretary Condos in the last half hour were being emailed to me by listeners. And um, 
just, you know, were popping out of the woodwork uh, kind of spontaneously. And, and you know, I might have had something else that I could have asked in the next minute or two, but I said to myself, that's actually pretty good. I'm going to steal that one and this one. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I do think that there is there are some folks out there with questions, and here's a public official coming along uh, able to answer some of those questions. Uh, and I think uh, basically that, that process is is helpful. Um, I don't know. May, may, I mean, maybe you and, and call me biased because I definitely am on this one. I, as somebody who I, I agree, I agree. Yeah. Um, I'm just <laughs> thinking that yeah. in, in the let's say that he works 180 days a year, and I'd mm-hmm. probably not far off the mark. What probably is the most important day for him to be at his desk? Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds like, uh, although, you know, again, I will say if the, uh, if the mechanics and the machinery are working properly, um, too big. then, well, it may not just be the staff, but it may be actually the town clerks out there are doing their work of conveying, uh, the results into the Secretary of State's office in a very timely way. The Secretary of State's office, uh, has been performing an important public information function again by putting the results up on its website. You can go up and you can go on there and look right now and find out, you know, what what percentage of the vote, uh, you know, Governor Scott has gotten versus Dave Zuckerman or whatever. And uh, you are uh, are able to see pretty much in real time as the ballots are counted and reported by town clerks out there um, what uh, what is going on out there in the electoral landscape around Vermont. I don't know. I, I think I, I actually think that that is an important uh, government function to uh, convey that information to people because obviously uh, people want to know and uh, they're, they're the only other source for this kind of thing uh, would be the media and uh, you know heaven knows the media have been uh, taking a beating uh, economically and uh, of course just in terms of the rhetoric dished at them from the president and the president's supporters mainly these days, but uh, uh, you know I don't know if you'd want to rely purely on on the tallies kept by uh, you know the uh, statewide and or and or national media outlets either in terms of understanding what the election results really are. So I don't know. I I I think that uh, when you think about it, really government is to a large extent only information it's i mean laws are just bits of information put in books you know passed by legislatures and put in books and uh and then the uh the fact that the government is planning on enforcing this law and uh and you are maybe uh, constrained in your behavior by that uh, possibility uh that's also just another piece of information so you know i've had this discussion with uh i, I was talking with a, a top state official a couple of years ago and this person was trying to tell me that the uh the conveyance of you know the, the distribution of public information is not a core mission of government agencies, and I was arguing actually that it is that uh, that the whole the whole sort of edifice of government is built uh, on the idea that uh, we're conveying information, and uh, so I uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback there. Did you have any okay. other uh, any other topics nope. you wanted to get into? Uh, uh, nope, nope. I'll just end with this, that um, yep. I think we might be coming into a time where government needs to be more business-like. And because I operate a business and I don't have a large staff that allows me to talk to you on the radio for half an hour, I have to get back to work. Thank All you right. for taking my call. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Hey, let's go to David in Burlington. Good morning, David. Good morning. Um 
I made a mistake this morning. I read a bunch of other stuff before I read Heather Cox Richardson's piece, Mm -hmm. Letters from an American. Uh, As usual, she puts everything in context, makes me feel a little bit better, and ties together a whole bunch of threads. She's a historian who teaches in Boston who writes a daily blog post about what's going on right now and puts things into historical context. I learned a whole lot about the Electoral College and its history that I've never seen anybody else attempt to unpack anywhere else in print. Mm -hmm. Heather Cox Richardson. Um, She also uses a phrase which I learned from Barton Gelman's piece in The Atlantic about a month ago, the red mirage. I believe that's what we're seeing now in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, It looks as though Trump is ahead because it's the people walking into the polls who've been told not to worry about the virus, whose votes get counted on the day of. Yep. But the uh, mail-in votes from people who support Biden trickle in. um, And, um, you know, people have been predicting this, including Trump standing up and fallaciously declaring victory. Mm-hmm. really would love to have this go into the courts. That's why the GOP has filed hundreds of lawsuits in advance of Election Day. Um, so, uh, yeah, just a recommendation of Heather Cox Richardson's daily piece. She is um, uh, she's she is excellent and really uh, very thoughtful, and, and I, I like her sort of calm approach. She doesn't go to a lot of hyperbole. And, uh, but just sort of digs in and analyzes, uh, the uh, present situation. And she is a historian, so she, uh, she, uh, approaches things from, from that perspective. A lot of analogs to, uh, earlier times and so on in U.S. history. And, uh, very, uh, very welcome addition to the, uh, <laughs> to the sort of, uh, radar screen out there or whatever the heck it is. So, uh, thank you for that, uh, that recommendation, David. And she puts this stuff up at two, three, four in the morning. I hope she gets, you know, um, a pay raise from her university or tenure or a book deal or something out of this. Because most of the subscribers to her blog are not paying anything for it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, She's, she's wonderful. Hey, uh, Dave, keep up the good work. We'll try. Thanks, David. All right. uh, Let's go to, I believe it's Steve in Morrisville is next in the line here. Good morning, Steve. Yeah, hi, Dave. Good morning. Um, I, I, I wonder why all the standard studies elections aren't exactly the same. Like, by the, you know, the time the ballot has to come in or how many days after it can be counted or whether everyone can mail in or, or no one can mail in. You know, how come that's not standard across America? That's all my wonder. And I'll listen up the air. Thanks. Have a good day. Uh, very good question, Steve. Uh, thank you for the call. Uh, I, I concur. I think that it, at least there ought to be. I mean, I know that there's a lot of talk about states' rights and federalism and our tradition of allowing the constitutional. Uh, the Constitution actually talks about states administering elections and so on. But uh, I, I would think that that would still allow the federal government to um, uh, basically promote a, a set of uh, best practices uh, and perhaps back up that promotion with money or with. Uh, the denial of money if uh, if those best practices are not followed so that you wouldn't have a, uh, a situation where 
you know, Florida managed to get all of its vote in uh, yesterday and counted by last night enough so that everybody knew that President Trump had won Florida by uh, by the time most people went to bed at, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock last night. Um, and but the case is different in in uh, many of the other states and merely because uh, they have made decisions in their own legislatures, for instance, not to count early ballots ahead of time. I mean, I, I don't know logistically why you could not have had all of the early ballots in every state uh, counted yesterday morning as the polls opened on Election Day. Uh, it just seems like you get the work done that's in front of you first and then uh, and then the, the continuing work that comes in, which is uh, the live votes on Election Day, then you count those. Uh, it should be a shorter and quicker Election Day because whatever votes came in early are not being uh, added to the tally on Election Day, so there's actually less to count on Election Day. Uh, logically, all of that works in my mind. I don't know why... Uh, it's not the norm around the country, and and maybe uh, Congress and or uh, a president at some point ought to look at that and say, let's figure out a way to make sure that uh, that we do uh, we do sort of gear up our election days here for um, maximum efficiency, maximum security of the vote. Now, one uh, one thing, of course, that uh, folks say about the uh, the fact that states all run their own elections is that nobody can hack a whole national system and change an outcome nationally because there's no national system that exists. And that may be a healthy thing. And it's sort of, we write that small here in Vermont in terms of, uh, the individual vote counting machines in town offices are not, uh, tied into any kind of a network. So you can't hack. If, I mean, if you're not on the internet, you don't get hacked. <laughs> That's sort of a pretty basic, uh, security idea, I would think. So there are benefits to having, uh, having individually, individual states manage their own elections. Because if there ever were a hacking problem or something like that, uh, you'd have a big firewall, which would be basically be that state's borders. And uh, so, I mean, there are advantages, and you don't want to give all those up completely, but you also could have, as I say, a sort of list of best practices. You know, you should count all of the early incoming ballots uh, by close of business on the day before Election Day. Every state should do that. And here's some federal money if you make a promise that you will do that. And... Uh, Next time you don't get the money if you fail to keep that promise or something like that. You know how these things work. So, we're going to chat with uh, Matt Dickinson. He's a political science professor at Middlebury College and uh, a frequent guest here on the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. And uh, also joining us, uh, Steve Pappas. Uh, he's the uh, editor of the Times Argus and Rutland Herald. And uh, I wanted to get the uh, perspectives of uh, these two gentlemen as we. Uh, head into the final segment of uh, today's uh, Dave Graham show here on WDEV. Hey, um, so I hope that we have uh, with us, uh, Steve, are you there? Are you on the phone with us? I am. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me. And Matt Dickinson, are you with us as well? Not yet. I'm calling him. Okay. <laughs> we'll give another minute to uh, get connected with Matt. Uh, Steve, I just, uh, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts and sort of how you think, uh, the uh, outcome here uh, in this uh, national election will sort of play in Vermont. Are you hearing from uh, re- readers, community members, et cetera, already uh, about uh, how they see uh, see the overall outcome? 
No, I think I, I, I haven't actually heard that much other than people are um, as expected on pins and needles. I think mm-hmm. that um, I think one of the one of the comforting things uh, that we saw uh, in a lot of ways happen here in Vermont uh, is that there was a um, kind of a push for incumbents to be returned to office, and I think that that uh, for, for whatever reason, a lot of folks have been talking to me about how um, they, that name recognition, that the people that you know, the people who have been doing the, the hard work and the, 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 the hard work that's coming, um, you know, needs a certain amount of stability. And I think that Vermonters certainly showed in big numbers yesterday that they wanted to, um, you know, Put people back into office who they who they know and and, and trust, and um, so at least in Washington County, and in to a certain degree in Rutland County, um, but certainly in Washington County, it was it was a sweep by the incumbents. Um, it was it was a fantastic number of um, incumbents that were returned, and um, that again is the thing that I think people have been talking to me more about today. Um, you know, it's just. There's so much speculation and uh, into the realm of the unknown right now and, and the what-ifs. And um, I've heard a few people talking about exactly what you were talking about before the break, about um, specifically Pennsylvania and, you know, why why would you not have a process in place where, um, you know, you were being more efficient, you were being more thoughtful and, and mindful that this was going to be a hard situation going into it. And... Um, you know, I think my editorial today actually <clears throat> talks about how, um, you know, regardless of what the outcome is, um, and obviously when I wrote it, I had no idea that, um, you know, wh- who was going to win. Uh, I wrote it yesterday afternoon at 3. Um, but it, it does speak to the fact that there are things that we need to do as a nation moving forward that really look at uh, what the reforms need to be in in the process, and you know if there are things that are outdated and things that um, just um, you know are not working, look at polling for example i i, I don 't think you know i, I don 't feel like polling is a terribly accurate provides it a terribly accurate representation anymore um, I may be in the minority on that, but i don 't feel like um, you know the the system has set up right now is is terribly efficient um, and really takes into consideration um, a lot of the changes that we've seen over time through technology and, you know, mail-in voting and, and, you know, the success that we've had with that in here in Vermont certainly would speak to um, a call that we, you know, we need more of that in other places of the country. So, I mean, you, the, the you talk there has been less about hand-wringing this morning because I think everyone just wants to know one way or the other. Um, yep, yep. And, you know, just need a, a decision at this point. You know, you mentioned the the, the fact that incumbents uh, did very well uh, yesterday, and, um, and it is interesting that the only – looks like the only uh, statewide office in Vermont that will change hands – uh, will, in fact, be the only office that was open. That was the office of lieutenant governor because Dave Zuckerman, of course, uh, ran for governor and uh, was defeated by the incumbent, Phil Scott. Uh, so I'm wondering, um, do you think that the power of incumbency 
was enhanced this year just because maybe people were looking for stability and continuity in the face of so much uncertainty nationally? I do. I feel like there's a fatigue and that you, you that people wanted to go with with individuals they knew. Uh, we were intrigued last night as we were going through the results in some of the towns, Northfield, by example, where there was no consistency. It was, um, you know, the incumbents who were returned were Republicans, but then, um, you know, Democrats were the the, the lead um, vote getters in, in certain other races uh, with the state senate and, and and other things like that. And it was just, it was it was a uh, I'm sorry for for the uh, for statewide offices. And it was it was just interesting that people were voting. Um, they actually were, in some cases, voting for both. They were not voting for party. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and I think that that that, that does speak to um, you know that old adage that you know Vermonters kind of vote vote their mind and not necessarily party. And uh, I, I absolutely feel like folks needed some feel like they need some comfort and stability right now. Well, let's uh, talk more about this all after the break. Uh, we need to go to the bottom of the hour. CBS News Minute, a couple words from our sponsors. I promise that we will bring Matt Dickinson into the conversation, too. We got a little bit of a late start this morning, but uh, we'll, uh, we will uh, be back in just a couple of minutes, folks. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. We're back, and uh, my guests are Matt Dickinson, political science professor at Middlebury College, uh, Steve Pappas, the editor of the Times Argus, and Rutland Herald. And uh, Matt, I wanted to uh, check in with you to find out uh, uh, what do you make of uh, the national, uh, the, the presidential race, and the counting that's going on now. Uh, are, some folks are saying that you know a lot of this process of uh, Having to count the um, the uh, early mail-in ballots in some key states, uh, and it would take into Wednesday, maybe Thursday or Friday, um, and here we are. Is, is, should this be a surprise to anyone? Uh, what, what do you make of all this? It shouldn't be a surprise. If um, anybody who was going to my pre-election talks, um, I had three words for them: Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Um, it's a combination of, of, of convergence of factors here. Um, one is Pennsylvania is really the key state, and it's very competitive. Two, the Supreme Court ruled that under Pennsylvania law, they can accept ballots that come in after Election Day, if as long as they're postmarked by Election Day. And three, mm-hmm. uh, Pennsylvania is not allowed to begin processing their votes, mail-in votes, until Election Day, unlike, say, Vermont, where you could check off the voter checklist of mailed-in ballots that arrived before Election Day. So those three factors in conjunction means we're going to be waiting two days um, probably before Pennsylvania is decided. And it so happens Pennsylvania is the key state in the race. Hmm. Um, And 
is there any path where Biden could win without Pennsylvania? In other words, if he runs the table uh, through Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona and maybe even Georgia, that uh, that one elector congressional district in uh, Nebraska, uh, does that do it for him? Yeah, he could win that way. Um, again, mm-hmm. there's uncertainty. Fox has called Arizona. I'm not sure anyone else has for, uh, for uh, Biden. Trump is claiming he's going to win Nevada. It's looking strong for Biden in Wisconsin and Michigan at this point. But, you know, let the votes get counted. I know people want to jump to guns here and start claiming voter fraud. It is not unusual for us not to know who won the election immediately uh, after Election Day. Um, Vote counting takes a while. Well, I I, uh, people get mad at me for doing this, but I I got to say, when you say People are, are trying to jump the gun here and starting to talk about voter fraud. Who's the main person doing that? Well, I think I get what you're going through. And certainly President Trump is not helping, nor are his supporters. But I have to be honest with you, on social media, we're getting it a little bit from both sides here. But you're right, of the, of the two candidates. Uh, now, keep in mind, if we stop counting right now, uh, as Donald Trump claims, Joe Biden would would have won the presidency. So it's kind of um, counterproductive for Donald Trump to say, stop counting the votes now. He would lose. Yeah, I, I, there, there was a time earlier in the night, though, I think it, when if they, had, if they somehow stopped counting the votes, uh, President Trump emerges as the winner right then, right? Yeah, that there were some early uh, returns before the, uh, the mailed-in ballots, which are trending Democrat, were counted in some states. It looked like uh, it had the counting stopped, Trump would be the victor. But nobody, I mean, you have to count these mail-in ballots. That's just how it is. Yeah, one, one. Uh, I, I think I heard it was Bob Woodward, I think, who made the point on one of the cable channels. He was being interviewed, and he said that a key difference between this and the situation in 2000 is that the the counting that was stopped by the Supreme Court in 2000 in the Bush versus Gore case was actually recounting uh, of ballots in Florida uh, that had already been counted. Uh, and, and in this case, what Trump uh, seems to be asking for is uh, is to stop counting as opposed to stop recounting. Uh, does that square with your understanding of the situation as well? Yeah, that's precisely right. And if you'll remember, your listeners in 2000, what was a dispute was interpreting whether a vote was a vote. That was the whole hanging chad. And the state Supreme Court had said, we've got to do a whole recount. We're not there yet mm-hmm. in this election. We haven't yeah. even finished the first count. So it's a distinct difference. Um, Donald Trump has less legal standing here um, than the Bush administration or the Bush campaign did in, in 2000. And, uh, and I wonder... Uh... I haven't really heard any any allegations here of, uh, of that you know individual votes kind of physically having problems like hanging chads or whatever. Uh, we we I mean maybe this will come at a later stage somehow, but as of now, the votes that are coming in overnight, say in Michigan, and turning the apparent result there from from the Trump column to the Biden columns. Um, Nobody is saying that that those votes are somehow flawed in and of themselves, correct? That's right. Um, Again, there will be some localized um, problems with vote counting, isolated incidents, but um, it would have to come down to a 
close state that is the tipping point state in which the margin of victory for that candidate is in dispute. We are nowhere near that point yet. Steve Pappas, let me uh, bring you back in here and ask you um, my sort of sense of, of an awful lot of folks here in Vermont, you know, it's just stuff I see online among Facebook friends and conversations I have with people on the phone and so on and so forth, uh, is, is that Vermont, of course, which is, you know, one of the earliest, if not the earliest state to declare for, uh, for Biden in, in this race and for Hillary Clinton last time, uh, certainly is different from many, many other parts of the country and may not be able to kind of get why, uh, why the race is so close nationally. Uh, I mean, do you think that this is, um, this is a sign that Vermont is sort of, uh, I don't know, off in its own little world or out of touch with the rest of the country or what the heck's going on here? Well, between politics and COVID, I feel like we actually are in some kind of a strange little bubble. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't. I don't think anybody in Vermont is feeling terribly surprised this morning, Dave. I think that people knew that this was going to be a close race. I don't think they knew that it was going to be this close. Um, and and I, you know, I, I certainly concur with what Matt said that we have to just let these votes be counted at this point because um, the 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 process, this first phase of this process, isn't even complete. And I think that. Um, as much as the rest of the country doesn't like it, that Vermonters don't like it, um, and you know they want they want a resolution one way or another. But um, I do feel like one of the things that Vermont has going for it um, is, for one, the constant reassurance that we've had in the months leading up to both the primary and to this general election that our that our process is in fact. Secure. The Secretary of State, I thought, did a very nice job of being able to articulate in various different formats, whether it was social media or advertising or commentaries, to, you know, indicate that that here in Vermont, our process is safe. It is. It is. It is going to work, and it's going to work the way, um, you know, it should. Here at the Times Argus last night, we had. Uh, we had 100% of the results from the Washington County towns before 11 o'clock last night. We had more mm-hmm. than half of them after 9 o'clock last night. And in Rutland County, um, the same thing was true. We had 10 towns that didn't reach out to us, but now 31 of 31 towns um, had responded, unfortunately, after our deadline last night, so we couldn't get the complete results of the Senate race down there. But it it works. It works when it needs to, and um, you know it may be that we're a small enough population, um, and we had those processes in place for you know dealing with the mail-in ballots and processing them early, and and anticipating what the time management challenges were going to be last night. But um, you know, I, I think we kind of sit back and do watch what's going on in the rest of the country and say, you know what, why can't you be a little bit more like you know we are here. Um, and, you know, just kind of, you know, if it doesn't seem like it's working right, let's, let's do all we can to fix it. Um, that is a broad generalization that is going to yield, you know, years of debate between now and the next election, I'm sure. But, um, you know, certain things have to happen between now and the next election, I think, um, to restore, uh, voters, American voters faith in this process. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess the reason I was asking is because I sort of sense that there are some Vermonters who, who kind of expected that this was going to be a blowout for Joe Biden around the country, because I think the general uh, the general view here is that uh, Trump has been, you know, um, in, uh, at least among many, many Vermonters, you know, the, the uh, strong majority who supported Biden, that Trump's been a disaster as president and that uh, and 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 the idea that the rest that the rest of the country uh, would somehow not get that as clearly as Vermont has gotten that um, would be, you know, surprising, disappointing, however you want to describe it. Um, and I'm just wondering, that, does that, that mean that all depends on the, I think that all depends on the side of the algorithm that you're on, Dave. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think I think the you know one side of the algorithm here in Vermont is very heavily, much more heavily populated than the other. I think I think uh, that would be fair to say, and and you know I could say that just objectively. If you look at the outcome, I think Trump got what was it, thirty two percent in Vermont uh, last uh, last uh, or in this election, and um, and that is uh, you know when you get less than a third of the vote, that tells you that. Uh, uh, the state definitely has, as a, as a whole, definitely has a pretty strong preference. Or, uh, Matt Dickinson, what do you think? Am I on, am I on track there? Or, or and, and what about Vermont's difference from the rest of the country here? I think there is a degree to which Vermonters are in something of an ideological bubble here. Um, mm-hmm. And keep in mind, um, they did vote for Phil Scott, so. Um, yeah. It's not that they they can't appreciate candidates from the other side, and they voted for him for an overwhelming majority. But Phil Scott is not representative of the Republican Party, and I I do think there is a um, an inability for a lot of Vermonters to really understand the sources of Trump's support and sort of dismiss it as entirely predicated on you know racial bigotry and so on. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think you are right. I, I mean, and, and that's the thing is that I don't, uh, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't think it's helpful to uh, just a, a, a ascribe all of this to race and to, to accuse Trump supporters of being racist and all that sort of thing because labeling and shaming doesn't seem to have been very effective in changing anybody's mind here. Um, and I don't know whether, you know, sort of how uh, the cultural divide that seems to have uh, formed in this country gets bridged. Um, uh, what are, what are the more effective ways that it might be uh, bridged? Um, and maybe it's uh, maybe it's people on the liberal side who need to who need to uh, move in some respects. Uh, how do, I mean, Matt, how do you think um, how do you think that can happen or will happen or maybe it won't happen? Well, the, I think the point that you made is that you don't demonize the other side and then get them to try to adopt your views. You first try to understand right. the source of their views, and then you engage yep. in a conversation. That's what politics is about. Too often we mm-hmm. go to stage two, demonizing them without understanding stage one. Why do they vote the way they vote? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and certainly, you know, this is uh, this is not a um, not a habit uh, that is exclusive to one side. I mean, you know, you see, yeah. you know, I see a lot of online postings from people who lean right, and and and. Uh, you see words like libtard and and all these other sort of insults directed and the left um and i i occasionally will tell people that um when you uh w- w- when you start out on a mission to describe 
a group to which you do not belong, you're in very dangerous territory if you're trying to get your facts right. Because, uh, I mean, just just for one example, if you were to say, um, you know, all people on the left uh, favor abortion rights, well, there are some people on the left who are really would be uh, quite strongly pro-labor and maybe uh, favor, uh, you know, high taxes for the rich and other forms of wealth redistribution, uh, maybe lean socialists, but still be uh, still be opposed to abortion, just for one example. And so therefore, when you make that statement that people on the left uh, are in in uh, in favor of, uh, you know, maximum abortion rights, you just made an incorrect statement, at least in some number of cases. And uh, and so I I mean, that's just kind of a, a simple and obvious example of a much more pervasive problem here, which is which is generated when people uh, try to uh, describe groups to which they they do not belong. <laughs> I don't know whether any of the any of the notes I've sent to folks about that uh, over time have had any effect. They don't seem to have actually, but uh, that's just uh, that's that's just one thought about all this. I mean, am I or uh, am I crazy? What do you what do you what do you think, Steve? Well, I mean, you and I have talked about this a few times in different contexts, and I, I, you know, I have said all along that, you know, as much as I like to have a, li- a lively editorial page with lots of voices on it, um, mm-hmm. I, 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 it's always been a growing concern to me that um, we don't talk about issues very well in, anymore, and I, and it, yeah. a lot of that has to do with the affirmations that we're all getting from our like-minded, you know, um, algorithm-driven, you know, friends on Facebook or whatever it happens to be. But we we actually don't talk um, or debate or discuss, and we certainly don't compromise very well anymore, um, especially when um, the chips come down. Um, and I, I feel like uh, it's one of the, you know, there are, there are, there are lots of reasons that people kind of um, – you know, ascribe to why this is happening, but it we we're not open to different perspectives very much, and we're very very quick to judge. Uh, more so, it feels like more so now than ever before, and that may not be true, but I, you know, I certainly point to the fact that you can find anything to support any idea that you happen to have on the internet, and that can be construed as truth and fact, and you know, uh, support. And uh, that may not be at all true, and it may take us yeah. very far away from the real core issues and, and, and essential arguments or tenets of a, of a debate. We're just, you know, it, it bothers me that we kind of talk away from each other now um, rather than to each other. Could that help explain, you know, the fact that uh, Donald Trump barely won the election in 2016? He, uh, of course, lost the popular vote, won in the Electoral College with uh, very narrow margins in three key states. Um, and uh, and then four years later, you can look back on this presidency and you see that, uh, you know, you, you've had at least I think it's uh, about 30 criminal convictions against members of the Trump team, the uh, campaign and administration over this uh, period of time. Uh, uh, and, and of course, this isn't just Democrats issuing charges. This is an independent judiciary concluding that 
that people are guilty of crimes. Um, you've had the uh, the fact that this president is the only one in American history to seek uh, re-election after being impeached. Uh, you have the fact that uh, the president's uh, handling of the coronavirus crisis has been uh, very widely uh, criticized, and uh, we have 230-something thousand uh, dead Americans. Um, and all, you look at all of that, and you might think that a guy who won very, very narrow, narrowly in one election uh, might have a tough time in the next one, uh, and yet uh, he's uh, apparently right within the within striking distance of where the last one ended up. Please explain. Is an important one when you look at the exit polls and who voted for Trump and who voted for Biden. They are nearly identical to what the exit poll suggested about the sources of Clinton support and uh, Trump support in 2016. We have the mm-hmm. gender gap. Uh, we have favoring uh, Biden. We have uh, favoring, uh, let's put it this way, more women voting for Biden than men. We have the division of white voters voting for Trump, including white women. We have younger voters going Biden. We have suburban voters going Biden. In other words, not a significant shift in the electorate. And part of that is you just laid out the case for why it's kind of surprising that Trump didn't do worse. But many Trump supporters are looking at those same incidents and coming uh, interpreting them differently. So the impeachment was driven by some crazed left-wing socialist in the House, uh, and he was acquitted in the Senate. The indictments were based on the deep state of um, investigating, um, trying to you know use the law to get out somebody out of power. And it gets to something Steve, I think, um, is putting the finger on here for the sort of the people who dominate political discourse. You know, they're not a majority of Americans. Most Americans aren't listening into the Dave Graham show, unfortunately. Um, you know, they're busy figuring out how to send a kid to school in a COVID era. And so conversation tends to get dominated by those activists at both sides who kind of spin facts in ways that tend to support them. And ultimately, the voters have to choose between these two interpretations. They can't say a pox on both your candidates. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, they just and it looks like we're going to have divided government again if the Republicans yep. hold the Senate and Biden wins. They just sort of um, they're not happy with either party. Uh, that uh, that does seem to be the case. It's uh I don't know whether that's a healthy uh, situation. I mean, maybe uh, sort of balance or symmetry here when you talk about divided government is a uh, is a positive. But uh, in terms of getting anything done, I suspect that, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell famously said at the beginning of the Obama administration that he was his plan was to try to block everything that uh, President Obama might want to do and, and see to it that Obama would be a one term president. Uh, he only partially succeeded in all those goals mainly blocking uh, a lot of Obama's agenda. Um, the uh, um, And here we are once again in this situation where possibly, I mean, it looks, it's looking increasingly likely like uh, like uh, Joe Biden could hang on and, and gain a narrow victory here, but then be back in the situation where for all of the uh, legislation coming out of the House, it would just end up dying in the Senate again and... <laughs> We'd be back into kind of this wheel spinning mode. Um, I, uh, I, I, you know, and I don't. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's the best way to go in terms of cooling the ambitions of people who would otherwise uh, turn us into a socialist workers' paradise or something. But um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can imagine where where basically both sides will 
end up rather frustrated and uh, and progress would be, uh, <clears throat> shall we say, minimal. Um, is there any way to uh, kind of uh, crack this riddle, you know, in maybe 2024 or some, at some point in the not-too-distant future? I think one problem. Well, I, I would just Dave, jump in and, and, and over the next point four years, again today both sides are going to look that, at that frustration and race and say, "Well, one people will have a few more." Let's go uh, one at a time. Right let me, actually, let me let me put the the question to uh, to Matt first, and then I'll ask uh, Steve what you think. Matt, uh, okay. your thoughts. Uh, very quickly, I sorry, Steve. I, I'm having trouble hearing you, so I didn't know you were talking. Um, you know, I think, Dave, you're absolutely right. What both sides and leadership positions have an incentive to do is to say, well, if we only want a few more votes, we could have flipped a couple more states. We could have won the Senate. Let's let's campaign, campaign for the next four years rather than try to govern together. Steve, 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I that was kind of my point as well, is that this is an opportunity for us to to allow for more productive, to, to use the frustration and the concern that we have and, and, and turn that negative energy into something that uh, moves us more in a direction toward problem solving instead of problem making. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have. Steve Tapas and Matt Dickinson, thank you both very much for joining us this morning. Some good insights, uh, and uh, we'll talk again soon. That's about it for today's edition of the Dave Graham Show. Stay for Common Sense Radio and... Uh, We'll talk to you all tomorrow morning. Have a good day, folks.